0: and welcome into the intentional encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Part two, for those of you in West Virginia, one, two, those are my people. I can, I can talk about them. but for <laughs> those of, you know, those of us that, uh, like myself that, that have trouble going past two when we count, this is part two of the episode with my dear friend, Catherine Brown, extra bold sales. She's a, a sales trainer, a, an entrepreneur coach so many things that that we did about this lady you can go to linkedin and find out more about her her catherine brown c a t h e r i n e brown but you can find her right here right now on the intentional church podcast
1: Hey, catherine thank you thank you for having me back i'm excited
0: well I, I, you know my excitement is is hepped up by this this tea <laughs> that i have in this cup here so, uh, by the way, go to www.howgoodhumancell.com. if you want to find more about Catherine and her resources. I want to get that out of the way because I want to save lots of time for you to tell your story. So you've listened to a lot of the podcasts. Go back as far as you want to go. I want to hear some of the the highlights of of your life and and some of those you know, maybe those times of you know. Highlights, lowlights, things like that, because here's the thing that, that I think salespeople miss a lot of times. We always want to share the highlights of our cu- with our mm-hmm. customers, mm-hmm. but we don't want to tell them, hey, you know what? You know, here was a time that I slipped and fell. Here was a time that that because I think when we talked to and we talked about connection in the first part of the podcast, I think people connect to those stories that are like, well, yeah, I'm not the only mess up in my family. I'm not the only one that that did something wrong. And there's real connective tissue there. So mm-hmm. take your liberty, go as far as you want to go. And, and I just, I want to hear your story.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. So I think a few qualities that might be helpful for people to hear about are a little bit of context. I have one sister and I was the oldest of two girls and the oldest of two girls. I was, we were a pretty typical, I would say, working class family, blue collar family, grew up in Texas. My parents both had, neither had a college degree, both were pretty hardworking. My mom a little bit more resourceful and industrious than my dad, but you know, they worked, they worked to get into a good public school system to provide opportunities for me and my sister. And you know, they did their best. They did the best they could. And they were good parents. There are lots of ways they were good, 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 good parents. We were very typical in the sense that some people believe a lot about birth order and things like that. And I was the typical firstborn in that what I mean is I happen to have just biologically the more extroverted personality, was more assertive than my sister. I was a good student, thrived in school, thrived on performing well in school, and my sister and I both had and have a fair amount of musical talent. So pretty early on, I started realizing that I got a lot of attention and I got a lot of joy out of performing music. So I took piano lessons as a grammar school student, got into the band in, in, in junior high and high school. And... I'll spare the people who are not band geeks, but I mean, I did everything a person could do. You know, I did the marching band, I did the concert side, I was in citywide youth orchestra. I did all the camps, all the festivals, even auditioned and got into a private, those of you that are old enough might remember the show Fame. I even got into an academy, kind of performing arts high school academy. It was a boarding school like that. My parents didn't let me go in the end. They weren't quite ready to let me leave home, but I got in. So I was, I was really good. And was,
0: Glee is fame for the younger
1: generation. Oh yeah, there we go. Okay, yeah. like, like Glee. Yeah, yeah like Glee. <laughs> exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so I was studying to be a professional percussionist and I thought I would be a professional musician. And there were parts, I look back now and I think there were so many parts that were, this was so instrumental to my development, but this is how I'll bring this around for your listeners. So even if they're not musicians, hopefully there's parts that they can resonate with. I got a lot of praise and a lot of positive attention for being good at that. I mean, even starting in the seventh and eighth grade, you know, we would have the Christmas concert and I would have the xylophone solo in the front. You know, it's got a lot of kudos. There's a lot of, a lot of learning that, you know, you, you, you perform to win praise, right? So I was in, you know, a, a very performing, high-functioning, high-performing, successful person. It's a good student, got into a good university, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a key milestone that I think might know might be interesting to your listeners is that I realized toward the end of college, I was studying to get a bachelor of music performance. And I realized that I didn't know what I was going to do instead, but that I did not, in fact, want to be a professional musician. And this was really scary because you have to understand that I didn't have the normal internship route and I didn't know anything about business. And so I had to go to my parents and say, you know how you've taken these loans to send me to music school. I don't think I want to do this. I finished so my degree. What flipped,
0: forgive me for what flipped in your mind. Yeah. You, you had all of this experience. You had all of this mm-hmm. behind you. You were well on your way with all the things you had done and all the performances and now you have the education piece behind you. So you're well on your way. Mm -hmm. What was it that flipped in your mind that just said, this isn't for me anymore?
1: Yes. it's a great question. And it really matters for your listeners because everybody comes to some kind of crisis like this, I hope, because it reveals who you really are. Right. And what happened is I started to have a realization. There was actually a distinct moment. That I remember I had the, the flash of the thought that was kind of scary that maybe I didn't want to keep going with this. But overall, what was happening, uh, Brian, was that I realized that I didn't have the constitutional temperament that I think a professional musician needs. I mean, it isn't because I had a lot of grit, so I was willing to practice and work hard. But what I mean when I say that is the level of sociability versus the amount of time you have to spend alone practicing, as well as your personal commitment to perfection. Professional Ooh, musicians yeah. are committed to playing perfectly. If you don't play perfectly, you cannot get a job, you cannot keep a job, and you just cannot survive because there's not that many spots in all the orchestras <laughs> and then you work, 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 work to play perfectly. And then, you know, you make $20,000 a year and everybody has to have four jobs anyway, cause you can't make enough money. It's a very hard living. So you have well, to be Catherine. Can, super forgive, me,
0: forgive me for interrupting. Here's something else too. There are going to be nights as a musician where you don't feel it
1: mm-hmm. either
0: as a singer or, a, or a musician, because, um, you know, I, I've saying since I was about three years old, And different my dad got me up in church and sang and things like that. So understand it. There are nights where I have been singing in front of people, and I would have rather been anywhere else but singing. Or my voice wasn't good. Or you you're you're just because life happens, right? And you're mentally somewhere. You're mentally somewhere else and things like that. Did you just realize at that point like there's got to be something else, or was it? Let me me ask it this way. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Prices are going up by the day. We've gotta find ways to increase our household revenue. Now, a couple ways you could do that is, one, you could go and ask your boss for a raise, but if that doesn't work, Because I think there's a really, really strong correlation to what what you're doing and helping salespeople now. Because salespeople are trained and coached. You have to be on every call. You have to be on every time. You have to deliver that message, and you have to be connected, and, and all these other things. And there were a lot of times when, when I was selling, too, it's like, listen, I don't feel good. You know, my my day's been crappy today. I, I would rather be doing anything else but be standing here in front of you talking about my product or service. What For you, was it freeing when you went and had that conversation with your parents to say, hey, listen, I know you guys sacrificed and worked and things like that. I'm just not at that place where I can commit to perfection. Like I need to commit to perfection to do that. Right,
1: because it wasn't like... What I like about your analogy, I think I'm tracking with you, what I like about the example to sales or to the not feeling it is that, of course, I agree, everybody has those times. And as a parent of young adults now I'm like but sometimes you got to do it anyway I mean I'm not suggesting Yeah, yes buttercup (laughs) yeah I mean everybody and and I think you can you can learn in whatever profession you're like I can go change my frame of mind right if I'm not doing it there's things there's action and responsibility I can take to get back into position to be able to listen so that I show up the very best I can at that moment I think that what what The reason I wanted to tell the music story is because what I want people to hear that came out of it was that it was the earliest seeds. I was about 21 and it was my first big look at just who I am and how God made me. And I think it was confusing and I was stuffing down probably little hints at it earlier because it was scary to think about, well, if it's not this, what is it? you know, vocationally, but it's just a very exciting thing as I would look back and reflect on. And I think this was a major milestone in the journey of me figuring out who is Catherine Brown, you know, with all the good and all the bad, because there's bad too, just like everybody else. And the aspect of realizing that, um, you know, that expression, don't let the perfect be enemy of the good. Yes. I, I love this expression because that, it's it it encapsulates what was happening for me with my professional track in that i realized it's just like constitutionally in my genetics and dna and my big five personality dimensions of how i would be measured on a personality scale i am quite flexible not that competitive really i'm really not that competitive And, um, it's not actually even important to me to always be the leader. I think that because I can fill a void, if there's a void in the room, I can do it. And I've developed a certain measure of competence. I think that surprises people, but my favorite way to be is actually a key contributor on a high functioning team.
0: You are, you're, you really, I I love where you're taking this conversation Mm -hmm. because musically, if we think about it, it is the difference of playing the sheet music like we were talking about in our first podcast of the training and the coaching and, mm-hmm. and things like that. It's a difference of playing the sheet music and then improv Im, Im, improvising when you have to improvising just being able to go, you know what, I don't need the sheet music because my talent and my training and, and everything that I know already just goes ahead and kicks in. And and the, what, what I re- really struck me is you were just talking there mm. a minute ago. You would have some people that would be in your ear and say, Oh, Catherine, why would you not want to be a professional musician? You're throwing all this talent away and it's not throwing the talent away. It's redirecting it in a new way and a new purpose. The talent never leaves you. You just redirect it. When you decided to redirect your talent, what started happening in your life as you tried, as you started pursuing things away from the direction that you were heading into, because again, I don't think people understand when they say, oh, you're just throwing that talent away. Good job. Mm-mm. You know, way to go. Mm-mm. No, you don't understand. I'm gonna take that talent. That talent is universal. You can you can take talent in a lot of different directions.
1: And any other traits you get you develop, exactly. right? The traits or habits. Like I I am I am an absolute wonder in self-management and time management. <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth. Like I all of that year all those years of trading of how will i get my homework done and all my practicing done and be ready for this competition and get enough sleep and take care of my body like even as a 16 year old like all those lessons of how to fit it in and prioritize and manage myself the self-governing i mean i was already extraordinarily good at that at the age of 22. And so what that meant is that when I had my first opportunity, second job out of college to work remotely, I had a pretty quick adjustment to it because I could look at a day and figure out, now, how am I gonna exceed my quota and make it to the gym? Because I'd really like to go to the gym today and have the resourcefulness, the creativity, the grit, the self-management to do it. Tying now to my current profession, in case some of your listeners, you know, didn't listen to part one and they're just now in part two, you know, I'm Shame coaching. On you. Shame <laughs> on you. You should have listened to part one. Go to part one. But if you're not, I'll tell you, you know, people, a lot of sales success is actually self-management success because it's about you preparing to do your calls and emails and your outbound work and then actually managing yourself and doing it and working the list and then scheduling your follow-up and then having there be a, call, a clear call to action and scheduling what you'll do next. All that self-management serves you in your life. So I know that was one of the things I learned. But can, the other can, thing that- uh,
0: Catherine, can, forgive um, me for jumping in there. Can, can we go back just for a minute? Sure. Because you said something a minute ago that is just bringing it right back to where you're going right now. Hmm. You you said something a minute ago. You said that a lot of professional musicians have a hard time bringing the the isolation if you will of the practice time, all the things people don't see versus the sociability sociability of the performances that people do see. And I think a lot of salespeople live for the performance mm. and hate doing the practice because, for I, I in my own life, I was a lot that way. And you were just talking about, hey, I I did the self management stuff. I knew how to manage myself. I knew how to do all these things that nobody saw, that just showed up in in full force when it was on stage and on demand with with your as you got into your first job in selling and things like that. What did you learn from the monotony of practicing? What did you take from all the practice you put in and how did you apply it to the performance part of what you were doing now, as you were transitioning away from the music career to the new career of selling that you were, that you were embarking on?
1: Small goals that tie to something bigger is probably one of the answers to that you when, so when you're a prof- when you're starting to be a professional musician you're at university, you have three or four hours credit class every semester will be your your big performance, whether it's the concert band or, or orchestra. And then you also have private lessons on top of that and that's a three hour class. So think about like an English class that you might have had that was three hours. Like it means that there's at least three hours of work in between the times you meet. Right. That's what that means. (laughs) You know, plus how often you meet during the week. And so you have all this material to prepare. And so you have to look at what's ahead and say, what do I need to do to get, you know, okay, I've got two hours right now. What's most urgent to be ready for this thing? And also, what's higher stakes? Because just like any other student, meanwhile, you're taking all these other classes and you're supposed to read this book for this class and do this and do that. You have to learn to. Um, where you're going to just get by and be okay with it and where you're going to have to drill down and really study. And I would have to decide, I would say, do I know this well enough to show up and do a good enough job in rehearsal? But I was not as prepared for my private lesson this next week as, you know, last week as I would have liked to have been. So I really want to knock it out of the park this week. So I'm going to focus on this solo and I'm going to spend the next 90 minutes. And I'm not going to actually... Um, I'm not going to go do anything except go to the bathroom, you know, until I have memorized to, into this page or until I have figured out this challenging part or whatever the objective is. And I do this now as an entrepreneur. I mean, I have multiple businesses because I just can't help myself. I love starting new businesses, and I I have a lot of competing interests, and so I have to have clear quarterly goals that I tie back to. So every day I say, what are the three things? that must get done and i literally look at them and i say and then i go review the quarterly list again and i think is this tying to the quarterly goals because the quarterly goals are tying to an annual goal and i want to make sure that most of the time sometimes there's something urgent that comes up sometimes sometimes my staff needs me something sometimes things happen that a personal emergency pops up but in general i want to look and say yeah that's advancing your goals if you do those things. And so this is a learned thing. People are not born knowing how to do this. You have to practice, 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 practice. And I know it went all the way back to starting to get ready for piano lessons when I was 10 years old and realizing I can't show up at Mrs. Lyon's living room and not have learned this hymn from last week because she assigned it, and I'm not ready.
0: <laughs> Having flashbacks myself. Yes. Oh my gosh,
1: I had the church lady. I mean, she had the teas too tea tea and everything. We
0: did. I did too. I had. I mean, uh, you my don't want to show up unprepared.
1: Was, you know? <laughs> my
0: piano teacher was Mrs. Love, and yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I'm surprised she didn't have a ruler stuck, you know, hidden somewhere. <laughs> if I didn't practice correctly. No, you know, it's so funny that, that you talk about that. It's, it's what, what did those things that advance your goals? Because a lot of times we look at goals and we say, okay, goals are tied to performance or they're tied to money or they're tied to something tangible that I can taste, touch, feel, see things like that. As salespeople, that's how we're wired a lot of times for, I love where you're taking us into the, and here's what I'm really, really getting out of this, and I hope you guys are getting it too. And I don't want to try to interpret for the audience. What I'm getting out of this is, you know what, I learned at a very early age to figure out how to manage me.
1: And Brian, I want to yeah, add, yeah, if yeah, I, please if I need to, if I need to tack this on to make sure, I, to make sure this is clear. Part of why I picked that particular story is because it was an early marker in the process of figuring out who I really am so that I can move toward whatever that the very best version of that is. So instead of feeling embarrassed that I actually don't care if I don't play the poor game Bess xylophone excerpt perfectly, which is a real thing, like it's hard and it's always on the audition piece for any symphony in the country. And, you know, I played it right 90% of the time, but not 100% of the time. And I finally decided that's okay with me, but it doesn't mean I do shoddy work or that I don't have values or that I don't make other meaningful contribution to the world. There's a level of detail that a bridge engineer needs to have that is not me. And so I want to look at then the rest of my life since then has been this, you know, unfolding with these other mile markers of, well what is me (laughs) and, and what's the, and then what needs, what needs to be changed, right? In Christian language, we would say, I'm being sanctified. I'm being changed. So I totally believe that I will have failures. I can learn from those. I evolve. I grow. You get better, hopefully with, you know, with that commitment to self-improvement, you get better over the course of your life in the areas where you have deficiencies, but it's really, I think it's, it's so fun to think about how every person is different and that one of the reasons that I'm so bullish on people thinking the best possible thing about selling is because I think you can be fully yourself and be successful. There's not a way to do it. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know dreams are powerful pieces of intentional encouragement. We all have them. If you're a business owner, you've probably always dreamed of taking your sales to levels you've never seen before. I've got a guy that can help you with that. His name is Brad Norwood. My good buddy Brad has been on the Intentional Encourager podcast as a guest before, and he is a dream specialist. His company, Dream It Pro... Offers incentive packages to travel to places such as the Masters, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, even exotic places that you've always wanted to take your team, but you just didn't know how to do it. Brad's your guy. And oh, by the way, Brad's a certified bucket list coach, so he can help your team members achieve their personal dreams as well. I want you to go to www.dreamitpro.com and find out more or call him directly at 479-466-6907. And by the way, tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourage Podcast. Listen. Get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourage Podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. A, a way to sell like a good human is to learn some tactics that help you drive to the next meeting and stay organized and manage yourself and things like that. There are principles and practices that are trans, you know, that transcend personality. But I told you earlier about my friend and client who is a CPA and a programmer, and he's, he's really, he's doing yeah. so well with sales. He's a great salesperson. And he's a completely different personality than I do. So I, uh, it makes me so happy to to now have a way to equip people to be the best version of themselves in, in an authentic way. Um, you know, in, in their service to others, as I figure out what, what mine.
0: Well, and here's the thing too. We we're really, what you're talking about, Catherine, is almost like a selling avatar. Like if it, like, like I I would say years ago, I'd be like, well, if my customers knew this about me, maybe they wouldn't like that. Or maybe, and, and then you get to the point where you go, wait a minute. If my customers don't like that about me, it's, it's okay. Maybe they're not the right customers for me because this is who I am and this is what I do. And this is how, um, I want to be. And, 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 and I don't think we, I don't think we really have tapped into the authenticity of ourselves in so many ways, because we, we figure you know, it's like, okay. And I use this for an example. It's like, Okay, people I go to church with knew this about me. They would, they probably wouldn't like me. But here's the thing. I think to myself, too, and I think, okay, but if I knew this about people I go to church with, you know, because they're probably thinking the same thing I am, right? It's like, well, yeah, you know, if people knew this about me, yeah. and it's like, okay, but it's okay, right? right. It, it's That's okay. Right. So I got to ask you this. How would you today have gone back and coached you as a 21 year old about to have that conversation with your parents Mm -hmm. and, and say to your, you know, because you're about to lay something really heavy on your parents. You want to go in a totally different direction.
1: Yeah, actually that wasn't the scariest conversation. It was more painful to tell my primary, my primary teacher, because the program I was in only accepted two students a year and i was telling him that i was not going to be his protege anymore and he was pissed off he was so mad it was really a terrible conversation because he felt like he'd wasted 3 years with me and i knew i knew that he would be disappointed and that it would probably be a terrible conversation because i knew of one other person in the program who had started out a double major and chosen the other major. And, and so he stayed in the school, but he was not emphasizing percussion anymore. And so I knew that went bad and I already heard that story. (laughs) So, um, that was the even more hard conversation. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like I navigated those pretty well. I was ready to, I was, I was pretty sure I was doing the right thing for me. And so I was ready to take it in the chin if that's what I had to, because I kind of had the big picture in mind. I think I might change your question a little bit, you know, with your permission and say, "Sure,
0: absolutely." what else
1: do I wish had happened? It was sort of, um, it's kind of this ironic thing because I'm so grateful that my parents supported me and that they equipped me and helped me to go to college for music. But I look back now and I think about how they were just surviving and doing the best that they could. And, you know, they're, they're gone now and they're not going to hear this podcast. Yeah. And I love them, <laughs> you know, but they, they've been dead a long time. And so I can say this freely without fear that they're going to hear me. They did the very best they could, but I look back now. And as one who's raised, who's, you know, almost finished raising adults. And I think, I think there were signs along the way that there were some things that were, it was not a good fit for me. And um, I think that the, the group, glory of me being a high performer and making everyone look good I liked it they liked it it served everyone and so I think part of the lesson I took from it then to then be a parent is to try to be so attuned to how has God made them right what are what are I have I have two men you know two boys um that that I I raised and so what are their unique attributes what are the early signs of what a full wonderful manifestation you know and presentation of their full personality as they're growing up like isn't it a joy right when you you start to see and you realize their preferences and you think i i thought you liked chili or (laughs) i thought you liked such and such what do you mean you don't like that i mean just i'm constantly surprised about things i thought i knew comparing them to each other, not comparing them to each other. It's, it's just so interesting because also they're young adults. So they are right where I was at this time of the story I'm telling you, where they're figuring out, yeah, who am I, right? What am I made to do? And what is this next next chapter going to look like? And so I've been really, I've done my best. I've not done it perfectly, but I'm so vigilant now as an employer and as a board member and as a sister and as a spouse like i'm just so passionate from that experience i had to be an equipper and to, and to be an encouragement to the people in my life to say what is you know what are the the seeds of greatness that you have in you that might look different than i had thought or different than you might have thought and how can we tease those out and, and and grow those because i wish someone who had been close to me Had helped me see that sooner I look back and I think the signs were there but the thing is that when you're being a success and you're on autopilot and it's bringing in lots of positive attention you don't really want to make a change and I think that was really scary for my parents because they're like well you don't really know how to do anything else if you don't do this what are you going to do they literally said what are you going to do and I said I don't know but I'll figure it out but they didn't really have the ability to say, on my behalf, I know we'll figure it out. Yeah. They, they didn't know how to do that. So I thought, I don't wanna be like that. I wanna say, we can figure this out, right? There's, we'll figure out what's right for you. And I don't think you have a singular calling or that you have to stay in the same job forever, that you have to, you know, I think it's an evolving process, but in each season that you would be empowered and equipped to say, what? you know, what would I do if I could do anything? And I think that's, that's, that's really where my faith comes in because I think when you're in a full expression of using those gifts and growing those, those gifts and talents and things that you're good at and that you enjoy, I think that that brings a lot of glory to God. And I think that it is part of the um the image of god being manifested in all different kinds of people as you see that this this range of expression of what that looks like and so i love that's part why i'm so berserk about entrepreneurship and equipping entrepreneurs and first-time sellers to be better at selling is because it's a piece of them bringing forth this next chapter of their life of whatever it is that they want to do and it's that's why it's so fulfilling because it's not about a single sales call it's about the bigger picture of, of the full life. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, it makes perfect sense. And I love it. And and you just beautifully weaved in those, those last couple pieces of encouragement. What can I do mm-hmm. if I could do anything and mm-hmm. what are the seeds of greatness within you that we can grow together? I love that. That is so mm-hmm. good. Hey, tell folks how they can get connected with you. Cause I know they're going to want to get connected with you. H- how can folks find your resources? We mentioned your website earlier, but, but, Tell folks where they can find you and connect. Yes.
1: I'm kind of obsessed with giving away free content. So (laughs) that's good for people. If they want, they're going to get free material. So my book is called how good humans sell. That is um, the same as the website. And on that, I also have a podcast and that podcast has a tab on that website. And I have. Two things, I interview people that have all kinds of things to do with sales and marketing to help people be better. I also, every other podcast episode is what's called a Tuesday tip, and it's always under 10 minutes, and it's me teaching on a singular concept to that you can take as a practical application. So if you're a recruiter, a fundraiser, or, or sell any kind of product or service, those tips are very practical. They can help you. I'm on all social, but I'm personally most devoted to keeping up with my LinkedIn connections and profile and you can find me either at extra bold sales e-x-t-r-a-b-o-l-d sales or by um, searching how good humans sell and my name will come up because there's a lot of katherine browns out there yeah. and so probably searching by the book is the best way to find me
0: that's wonderful go to go to amazon and get that book how good humans sell Catherine. what a great pleasure both podcast episodes have been thank you for joining me on the intentional encourage podcast
1: thank you so much appreciate you